On behalf of Calvary Bible Church of Palisadro, welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of our pastor and teacher, Jim Jarrett. Here's Pastor Jim with today's study designed to help us grow in the Word. One evening after a busy day of ministry, the Master said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they got into a boat and started across the Sea of Galilee. And you're familiar with the story. You know, as they were crossing, a raging storm suddenly arose, tossing the small boat around like a, like a toothpick, and the disciples were afraid, and so fearing for their lives, they awakened their sleeping master, saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He then rebuked the wind and the sea, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And awestruck, the disciples said to one another, Who? Who then is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? In Luke chapter 5, when he proceeded to both heal the body and forgive the sins of a paralytic who had been brought to him, the scribes and the Pharisees huddled among themselves uh, asking the question, Who? Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? In Luke chapter 9, as reports of what this man had done spread throughout, the, throughout Israel, news of him finally reached the palace of King Herod. And puzzled, Herod said, John the Baptist I have beheaded, but who? Who is this man of whom I hear such things? In Matthew chapter 21, when he rode meekly yet Majestically into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey on what we call Palm Sunday, the reaction of the multitude was typical of what had already occurred numerous times before. And we read there, and when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was moved and asked, Who? You know, who is this man? And there is no question as profound or eternally significant as the one so many have asked before. Who? Who is this man? Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Who is Jesus Christ? And on your answer to that question, hang all the issues of life and death, good and evil, truth and falsehood, heaven and hell. In our men's and women's study, Beholding Your God, there have been a number of of searching statements and questions that uh, that I have been uh, just wrestling with and, and going over and over in my mind. One such statement was in week three, and the statement was, you can have as much of God as you want, and in fact, you already do. So the question is, how much of God do you have? How much of God do you even want? And then this last week, the fourth week, Uh, one you ladies will be doing this Tuesday evening, we're told to ask ourselves, is Christ himself 
the attraction in Christianity for you? Is Christ himself, is Christ the attraction in Christianity for you? And as the book says, it's not easy to answer that question honestly, so don't answer it too quickly. I mean, is Jesus himself the attraction in Christianity for you? Is it Christ himself? You know, are, are you pursuing Christ himself or is all you're concerned about now that you have your salvation is the benefits and blessings of salvation? And of course, pursuing him assumes that you have a personal relationship with him. And so if you do, I'm asking, are you pursuing a deeper and more intimate relationship with Christ himself? I mean, do you want to know him more? Do you want to know more and more of him? Or is Jesus and, and all that he is and all that he's done, is it, is it boring to you now? It's old hat because you've heard it so many times. Are you uninterested in these things? You know, the cry of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 was this, that I might know him. That I might know him. And Paul had believed on Christ 30 years earlier and had faithfully been serving him ever since, but he still wanted to know him even more. And the knowledge that Paul uh, spoke about there is, is a deep, intimate, personal knowledge. You know, Paul's master passion was Christ. And knowing more and more of him was Paul's main goal in life. And for us as believers, there could be no greater goal in the world than to know Christ more intimately. But, but knowing him isn't merely uh, Bible study after Bible study, you know, Bible reading after Bible reading, just merely stuffing our heads with knowledge. But rather it's having a, a, an ever-deepening, personal, intimate relationship with him. And loved ones, this kind of personal knowledge of Jesus is what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions in the world. Because our faith is not one of systems and regulations and rituals. Our faith is personal and, and intimate. You know, we know a person who has absolutely transformed our lives, and we live in fellowship with him. He lives within us by His Holy Spirit, and we can know more and more uh, intimately. We can know Him more and more intimately as we walk with Him day by day by day. But building an intimate relationship is not something that takes place in the course of a day or two or a Bible study or two. It develops over an entire lifetime. I mean, our life is to be spent in pursuing an ever-deepening relationship with Christ. So let me ask you again, are you seeking to know the person of Christ in a deeper, more intimate level? I mean, are you pursuing Him? 
And I'm afraid that, that many in the church today are guilty of what our, our men's, men's and women's study call a casual familiarity with Jesus. In other words, we're so familiar with the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry that we mistake an acquaintance with these passages for a real intimate knowledge of Christ himself. This is a real danger in Bible-teaching churches. Churches where the Word of God is, is proclaimed faithfully, where the people are reading their Bibles, where our children are being taught the Scriptures. When danger is our children grow up thinking they know everything because they've learned it all in Sunday school. And they very quickly, as uh, they get older, become bored and uninterested. Adult Christians become bored and uninterested because somehow, for some reason, they think they know. Let's not mistake an acquaintance with passages of Scripture and a, a surface knowledge of these passages of Scripture for a real intimate knowledge of Jesus himself. You know, as we need to reacquaint ourselves with Jesus. And we do that in the Word of God. And I think it really begins uh, with asking ourselves, who is Jesus Christ? And of course, we immediately say, well, he's God's only son. He came into the world, uh, became a man to save us by dying on the cross. And he rose, died, rose again, ascended to heaven. He's coming at, uh, one day. He's my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, and friend. Which is something our children in children's ministry could tell us. And we have a knowledge of those things. And Jesus certainly is all of those things. But he is infinitely more. He is infinitely more. And yet, it's, it's almost as if many professed believers are just satisfied with that kind of a surface or superficial knowledge of Jesus. You know, he saved me, I've got my salvation, I, I read my Bible, uh, I've been through uh, these things before, even attended a Bible study outside the church, you know, I've, I've been through this, I, I, I got this one down, I know this. Well, loved ones, there, there is so much more for us to learn of Jesus and we ought to want to do so because we want to know him in a deeper and more intimate way. And this has really been just on my heart. Uh, and so over the next several weeks, we're going to take a short break from Ephesians. We're at a good place to take a break, entering the last section of the book. And we're going to go and look at some of the, the, the great, some of the important passages in the New Testament that deal with the, with the identification of Jesus Christ. I mean, who is Jesus? And hopefully and prayerfully, these, these astonishing truths will reacquaint some of us with the greatness of who Jesus is and stir up in us the love and sense of wonder that once characterized our lives as new believers and cause us you know, to, to pursue him with a renewed zeal, with, with all that is within us, so that, that our master passion, like the Apostle Paul, and, and our golden life would be to know him.
And perhaps this study will, this series will acquaint others with the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time and thus begin a new life in Christ, the life of loving, serving, and pursuing Him. And so this morning we're going to go to the Gospel of John, first of all. So please take your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, turn uh, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 are among those great passages uh, about who Jesus is. And this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read this passage. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We read now, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. May the Lord bless this reading of his word and our time together in it. You may be seated. The Apostle John uh, writes in a, in a different style than the other gospel writers and, and with a different view. John gives us the heavenly story. He, he gives us the supernatural view of Christ, and that's why he begins his gospel with the eternality of Christ, the, the deity of Christ. And there's no gradual build-up to the idea that Jesus is the man, or that Jesus the man is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God in human flesh, fully God and fully man. I mean, John doesn't wait and to tell us halfway through the book that Jesus is God's Son. No, John tells us right up front, right off the bat. He doesn't start here below. He begins from above. His eyes are, are turned heavenward, and as he begins to tell the story of Jesus, he begins with some of the most lofty, deep, and profound words that have ever been written. At one level, the Gospel of John is the simplest of all the Gospels. At another level, it is the most profound. It's the most simple because John uses a simple, small vocabulary, really the vocabulary of a child. But he chooses special words and he just loads them with meaning. And so it's the simplest in regards to vocabulary, but it's the most lofty in regards to truth. It was Alan Redpath who said, the gospel of John is shallow enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And this morning, here in the first five verses of chapter 1, we are immediately thrown into the deep end of the pool. As one man said, here Jesus is proclaimed with unclouded simplicity and majestic profundity to be the Word of God, the Creator of the world and the light of men. I mean, John wants us to stand in awe of Jesus as, as God, as the one who reveals the unseen God to us, just as a word reveals an unseen thought. And it is foundational to the Christian faith and, and crucial to our personal faith 
that we understand and embrace the truth that Jesus Christ is fully God. Because in order to reconcile sinful people to the holy God, Jesus must be God in human flesh. And He is. And the Apostle John skillfully presents this in the first 18 verses of chapter 1, which really are a summation of the entire Gospel of John. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, in verses 1 to 5, John affirms in verses 1 and 2 that Jesus is God. In verse 3, that Jesus is Creator. And in verses 4 and 5, that He is life and light. So let's begin by looking at verse verses 1 and 2, where John affirms that Jesus is God. And he begins by saying in verse 1, notice please, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. Of course, that's the way the Bible begins in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And any reader of the Bible in John's day would have immediately recognized this. And so John says, in the beginning, the, the beginning of Genesis 1-1, the beginning of the time, space, material, universe, the very beginning, that, that moment in time when everything came into existence by the creative Word of God, that's where John starts. And he says that in the beginning was the Word. And the verb was means to exist. It means to have an existence, which indicates that at the beginning of, of, of the universe, the Word already was in existence. And the tense of the word was describes a continuing action in the past, which further reinforces the eternal pre-existence of the Word. It indicates that the Word was continuously in existence. So what, what John is saying is that the Word continuously existed before the beginning of everything that exists. So the idea simply is that the Word existed before creation or even time. And since time began with the creation of the physical universe, whatever existed before that creation is then eternal. And so the Word existed before time, and therefore is outside of time, and therefore the Word is eternal. You see, the Word did not come into existence at the beginning along with the rest of creation. The Word was. That stresses uh, the point that the Word always existed. There was never a point when the Word came into being. There was never a time when the Word was not. The Word has always existed because the Word is eternal. That's what John is telling us. Word translates the ancient Greek word logos. And John no doubt chose logos or the Word because both Jews and Greeks were very familiar with it. It was a term that they already understood. But John invested it with his own meaning which becomes evident. And the important thing to know about the Word is found down in verse 14. Look very quickly at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we know from verse 14 that the Word is none other than who? Jesus Christ, God who took on humanity. And so what John is saying is that at the moment when creation came into being, the, the Word, Jesus Christ, already was. He already had existence. 
And if he already was at the beginning, then Jesus Christ is not to be thought of as part of the creation. He is uncreated. He is not a part of the world. He is not a part of the universe. He is not part of the solar system in which you and I live. Because at the very moment when the whole of creation was brought into being, he already had been. He already was. He already continually existed. You see, John is, is affirming here the eternal preexistence of the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why all the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus used a title for himself that God used to declare himself to be the eternal preexistent God. In the Gospel of John, Jesus repeatedly said, I am. He said to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. He only spoke of himself in the present continuous tense because there never was a time that he did not exist. And so John says, in the beginning was the Word. And then he says, notice, <clears throat> and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. That's repeated in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. John emphasizes this point to make, to make sure, emphasizes this to make sure we don't miss the point. And the Greek word translated with is, is not the kind of with that, that I would use when I say I sat down at my desk with my computer and books. That use of with, I mean, simply means I'm at the same desk with them. They exist, but... There's no communication or interaction. We don't have any kind of fellowship or communion. The word with that John uses here literally means toward. Toward. It is probably best translated face to face. It means far more than merely that the word existed with God. It gives the picture of, of two personal beings facing one another and engaging in deep, intimate fellowship and communion. And so what we have here is the fellowship of one person of the Trinity with another person of the Trinity. And so before the creation of the world, before any matter or particles have come into existence, the word was. He, he has always existed, and the Word, Jesus Christ, was in intimate fellowship and communion and in perfect harmony with the Father. I mean, there has always existed the deepest equality and intimacy within the Trinity. The Father with the Son. The Son with the Father. You see, what we're talking about here is... is a, a spiritual unity, spiritual oneness, the likes of which we cannot even begin to comprehend. Two perfectly holy persons of the Godhead with mutually exhaustive knowledge of one another. I mean, they, they love one another utterly. They, they give themselves to one another utterly. Perfect love. Perfect harmony. I mean, if you can imagine... Uh, a time in your life in which you felt the most loved and the most understood, the, the most enraptured in that way, and then multiply that by perhaps a trillion, then maybe you, know, you might begin to get a very dim hint of what we're talking about here. 
About 500 years ago, one preacher thinking about this verse put it this way, no child was ever as one with his mother, no husband was ever as one with his wife, no soul was ever as one with its body as the son was one with his father. And Jesus declared it in John chapter 10, verse 30, when he said, I and the Father are one. And the joy that, that comes along with that must, must be unbelievable. I mean, no one has ever known this kind of inexpressible, glorious joy. And, and Jesus speaks of it in John chapter 17, where he says in John 17, 5, And now, Father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then in verse 24 of John 17, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I mean, the Father and the Son love one another and enjoy perfect, intimate fellowship, communion, joy, and pleasure in degrees of depth and power that we cannot begin to imagine. And this communion exists between the Father and the Son, or that exists between the Father and the Son, is expressed by John uh, very simply with the words, the Word was with God. But not only did the Word exist from all eternity and have face-to-face -face fellowship and communion with God, but also in the final part of verse 1, notice John says, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. Nothing higher can be said. This means that all that, that may be said about God may rightly be said about the Word. And we should never water this statement down. John is not merely saying that there is something divine about Jesus. No, he is absolutely affirming that Jesus is God. The Word was God. And that simple statement is probably the clearest and most direct declaration of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ to be found anywhere in Scripture. You know, one of, the, one of the marks of John's gospel is that the most profound truths and doctrines are, are given, the, given in the simplest words. I mean, this could not get any simpler, and yet it could not get any weightier or, or more profound. The Word, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, was and is God. And as believers, we've heard that so many times, it doesn't even phase us anymore. Can you explain to me all that's involved in that? All that that means? All the, the profound, deep theological truths uh, associated with this? The, all the implications of this? No, we can't even begin to comprehend. Notice what John does not say. He does not say the Word was the God. 
The word was, be God. But he says simply, the word was God. If he would have said that the word was the God, then that would imply that there was no other divine being except the word, which would not allow for the Father and the Holy Spirit to be God. But we know that while there is one God, there are three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. John says the Word was God. You will also notice that John does not say the Word was a God. Now the Jehovah Witnesses in their New World Translation uh, translate this verse, the Word was with God and the Word was a God. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that that's not what John says. That is not grammatically nor contextually compatible with what John writes. In fact, it is grammatically impossible. And there is no true Greek scholar alive who would agree with that claim. Uh, Dr. Charles Feinberg said, I can assure you that the rendering which the Jehovah Witnesses give John 1.1 is not held by any reputable Greek scholar. Dr. F.F. Bruce said, the translation, a God, is totally indefensible. Another Bible scholar said, a grossly misleading translation. It is neither scholarly nor reasonable to translate John 1.1, the word was a God. But of all the scholars in the world, so far as we know, none have translated this verse as Jehovah Witnesses have done. John did not write that Jesus was a God. He says that Jesus was God. We worship Jesus Christ, who is God. Jesus is God. And, but at the same time, as the verse says, he was with God. And I want to come back to that for a moment, because this is very important. Because it tells us that not only is Jesus the eternal God, but he is also distinct from the eternal God. And this is where we come to understand that there is one God, and yet there are three persons. And here we find two of them. The Word was God, but John, John also tells us, but the Word was also, what? With God. Well, how can you be God and with God? Well, only in a Trinitarian way can that be explained. Now, the exact meaning is that the Word was God in essence and character. He was God in every way, though he was a separate person from God the Father. And so, as one man said, the phrase perfectly preserves Jesus' separate identity while also stating that he is God. And this was his continuing identity from all eternity. He, is con he was God constantly. And so again, everything that can be said about God the Father can be said about God the Son. In Jesus dwells all the wisdom, glory, power, love, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth of the Father. In Him, God the Father is known. And John is going to go on to tell us down in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, or Jesus, has made him known or has revealed him or has explained him. And so if you want to know what God is like, you know, of course you do. I mean, John is saying God is like Jesus Christ. 
because Jesus Christ is God and he has been enjoying the closest possible fellowship with the Father for all eternity and he has come into this world to show us what the Father is essentially like. Now isn't that one of the most incredible thoughts that you can ever have? You know that here's the Father and here's the Son and they're one God in fellowship with each other and, and with the Holy Spirit in the mystery and, uh, of, of the communion of the Trinity. And Jesus Christ has come into the world to make something of that mystery known to us. I mean, that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And if it doesn't seem incredible... Uh, to us, then we should, we should spend time meditating upon it, thinking about it, mulling it over until it becomes incredible to us because it's an incredible truth. Because here's at least one thing that it means. It means that when we enter into fellowship with Jesus Christ, we are experiencing something of the intimacy and the fellowship that exists between the Father and the Son which is one of the most incredible and beautiful things that we could possibly think about. I mean, doesn't that want to make you pursue knowing Christ more? And so John writes, the Word was with God, the Word was not a God, not the God, but the Word was God. So John tells us that Jesus has always existed from before the beginning and that he was with God and that he was God. The Father and the Son are equally God, yet distinct in their person. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, yet they are equally God with God the Holy Spirit, making one, per, one God in three persons. And although our finite minds cannot comprehend the mystery of the Trinity, I mean, scripture is clear that God is one God who exists in three distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and yet there is not three gods, but one God. You say, can you explain that to me? Not on your life. I just know that it's true. And John then sums up his teaching by saying in verse 2, notice, he was in the beginning with God. So the second verse just underscores the truth that the Word coexisted with the Father from before the beginning. The Word does not come to be with God. The Word was. He continually existed with God in the beginning. The Word has always been in a, in a relationship with God the Father. Christ did not at some point come into existence or begin a relationship with the Father. In eternity past, the Father and the Son have always been in a loving communion with each other. Jesus is God from all eternity. That's the point. Well, what does it matter? What does it matter that Jesus Christ is God? Well, because if Jesus is not God, then you and I are still in our sins. If Jesus is not God, then we are sinners without a Savior. We are dead in trespasses and sin. If Jesus were only a man, then he died for his own sins. We're still in our sins. Uh, and, and we have absolutely no hope, but Jesus is God. 
And this is precisely what John says. And because Jesus Christ is God, it means that he is able to satisfy all the needs of our hearts. I mean, God is infinite. Jesus also is infinite. Therefore, he is able to satisfy us out of that inexhaustible, infinite immensity. And so the first thing that John declares to us in this section, this beginning section of the gospel, is that Jesus is God. Secondly, he declares that Jesus is creator. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so once again, here's John expressing a very profound truth in, in clear, simple language. Jesus Christ, the eternal word, created everything that came into being. John says, all things were made through him. And then he emphasizes that truth by repeating it negatively. Without him was not anything made that was made. And of course, we know the entire Trinity was involved in creation. From Genesis 1, we know the Holy Spirit was there hovering over the face of the waters. We know God the Father was involved because God is portrayed throughout the Bible as the creator. But the agent of creation that he uses is the Son, or the Word. You know, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, But in these last days, he, God, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he, got, through whom he also created the world. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So God is the creator, but God does all his creating through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the agent of creation. This does not deny God as creator. It doesn't deny the role that the Holy Spirit plays in creation. But it says that the Son of God is the agent by which the creating is done. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul said, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. God is the creator, and so is the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom God made everything that was made. How do you know? John says it right there. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And John used, you'll notice John uses the word made three times. This word made means come into existence, which means anything that came into existence had a beginning. It means at one point it did not exist, and then it was made, and it began to exist. Jesus Christ, as God, who always existed, who was not created, brought everything else that exists into existence. Everything that exists came into being through him. And that simple, clear evidence, not even arguable, that the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal deity. Because everything that exists, he made. It all came from him. He did not come from anyone or anything. Everything came from him and through him. Without him, John says, was not anything made that was made. In other words, without him, not one single thing, and that would be the literal Greek, not one single thing was made. 
Not one thing came into existence that he didn't make. And this means the creator of everything that exists must necessarily then be uncreated. Because if he's, he's part of the creation, then he's created. But Jesus is not part of the creation. He is uncreated. Because only the eternal God is uncreated, and Jesus is eternal God. He is the eternal God, and he created all things. He's God. You cannot escape his deity no matter how you try. If Christ is a created being, as the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons would have us believe, if Christ is a created being, then he came into existence, that means verse 3 is false. And if verse 3 is false, that means everything else about him is false. But John denies this and asserts that everything that came into existence came into existence through Christ. And John's argument is, is, is quite simple. You know, since God the Son is the creator of everything that exists, he has to be outside of the creation. That means that he is uncreated. And if he is uncreated, that means he has to be outside of time. And if he, if he is outside of time, that means he is eternal. And he is. Because Jesus Christ is eternal God. Now certainly, in time, there was a historical Jesus of Nazareth. But this terminology here in John refers only to his, or, or that, that terminology about Jesus of Nazareth, that refers only to his 33 years on earth. Here in the verses we're reading, John is telling us that God the Son had no beginning. There was never a time when he was not. He's always existed. He's not referring to Jesus' time on earth. He's referring to Jesus as the eternal God. God the Son was not created. He's not a created being. He is the eternal God, and he is the creator of everything that exists. But suppose, for a moment, suppose a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or someone from you know, any brand of religion who believes as they do you know, says Jesus was not God. You know, he was not eternal, not, not eternally begotten, but rather Jesus was created. That Jesus was the, the first of creation, the, the highest of the high angels. Well, what if they come and say that? What's our response? Well, John has written verse 3 precisely in a way that makes that impossible. John did not simply say all things were made through him. I mean, you, you would think that that was enough, be enough to settle it, you know, he's not a creature, he created all things. But someone could conceivably say, as they do, yeah, but, but all things does not include himself. It includes everything but himself. He was created by the Father, and then with the Father, he created all other things. But you see, John doesn't leave that option open to anyone. Because he said in the last part of verse 3, look at it, and without him was not anything made that was made. Well, what do the final words, that was made, add to the meaning of the phrase, without him was not anything made that was made? What does that was made add? 
Well, those words add this. They make explicit and emphatic and crystal clear that anything in the category of made, which is absolutely everything except God, Christ made it. And if Christ came into being at some point in time, this would mean that Jesus had to have created himself before he existed. Because he created all that was made. Well, the Son of God could not have have made himself because, uh, because before you exist, you can't bring yourself into being, can you? If you don't exist, how can you bring yourself into being? Therefore, Christ was not made. He is God, and he created all things. That's what it means to be God. And the Word was God. Jesus created everything that exists, and he is also the one who sustains everything that exists. I mean, that's it, period. And that is so simple to say, yet it is so deeply profound. And of course, Jesus may be unrecognized by the world, and he is. But he's God. Not only because he pre-existed with God from before creation, but also because all the characteristics of deity are expressed by him. He creates all things, and he upholds all things. Jesus is God. He is creator. And now in verses 4 and 5, John tells us that he is life and light. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Here in verse 4, we find two key words in John's gospel, life and light. And John uses this particular word for life 36 times in his gospel, more than any other New Testament book. And the Greek word translated here as life is a very broad term that can be used for all kinds of life. It's used of the physical and and temporal life that God has given to all men. It's used of the earthly life of the lost man and of the present life in contrast to the life to come. But it also refers to spiritual and eternal life imparted as a gift through belief in him. It's the word Jesus used in John 14 during the Last Supper when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And John tells us here that in him, in the word, in Christ, was life. And he says it again in in chapter 5, verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So in him was life. I mean, that's an amazing statement. In him was life, life was in him. He possesses life as an essential of his nature as God. He didn't get life from someone. Nobody gave him life. In him was life. He is the source of all physical life at every level, all the way from the simplest one-celled animal to the more complex human being, and beyond that to the even more complex supernatural realm of angelic beings. He gave life to everything that has life, everything, because life is in him. God has the power in him for all of that kind of life, including the even greater reality of spiritual life, eternal life. And the point is that all life comes from God. And Jesus declares, or John declares, Jesus Christ is himself life. He is life. He is the fundamental reality of all that exists. It is in him that we live and move and have our being. We, we, we have our existence. You know, all that exists, exists 
because it has life from Him. And not only, He not only gives life, but He sustains it. He not only created, but He sustains the creation because in Him was life. Are you with me? And then John says, back in verse 4, notice, and the life was the light of men. Jesus came into this world as the eternal life, as John calls him. He came into the world as the eternal life, and when he arrived, you might say the light came on. Life and light cannot be separated. They are, they are essentially the same thing with the idea of light emphasizing the manifestation of the divine life. And one commentator wrote, the life was the light, is the same construction as the Word was God. As God is not separate from the Word, but the same in essence, so life and light share the same essential properties. And so John is connecting life and light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's why Jesus came into the world, to shine light into the darkness, to reveal God to man. The light is the revelation of the life. Jesus said in John 18, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so in him is life, and his life manifested in the world is called light. Jesus is the eternal life of God in human flesh, manifesting uh, like light, shining in the darkness of a sinful world. You know, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, is, is nothing more than the radiating manifestation of God's life shining through His Son. I mean, Paul specifically said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Light is God's life manifested in Christ. I mean, God is, is always the source of life and light. And Christ, the Son, the Creator, manifests that life and light to humanity because He alone is the life giver and the light bearer. And then John says in verse 5, notice, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness refers to the lost world of sin, the, the darkness of fallenness and sin and corruption. You know, the, the, the world, which is Satan's realm, which all men are part of, is called in Scripture the domain of darkness. The devil is the prince of darkness. This world is the kingdom or the domain of darkness. And John says the light, the light, which is the life of God, shines in the darkness. I mean, Jesus comes into the world as light and he lights the world and, and he's continuing to light the world. And verse 9 reveals that all humanity benefits from his light. Look down at, first, at John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 explain that this happens through nature and conscience. The light shines in the darkness is simply John's way of saying that God has spoken to us in his Son. You know, the writer of Hebrews says that God has spoken to us by his Son. And that's really what John is speaking about here when he says, and the light shines in the darkness. The Son of God has come into this dark world. 
The Son of God has, has given light. He's given light concerning man who has fallen. He, he, is, he has given light concerning sin and salvation through the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. Isaiah described the coming of salvation as people living in darkness, seeing a great light. Christ has given light concerning life itself. Light concerning the plan of God, light concerning life. It's all found right here in the testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ and the revelation that has come to pass through him. John says the light shines in the darkness, and then he says the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, darkness is almost personified in this verse. And John says the darkness uh, has not. In other words, it's unable to overcome the light. And the word overcome essentially means to grasp. It can be translated comprehend or to grasp with your mind, which would mean that the darkness did not understand the Lord Jesus when he came into the world. You know, men didn't realize who he really was or or why he had come. But it also means to grasp with the hand in the sense of to seize, overpower, and bring down, which would mean that the darkness has not overpowered and conquered the light. To grasp with the mind, to comprehend, or to grasp with the hand, to overcome, both meanings fit here, both fit the context. The light shines in darkness, and darkness did not comprehend what the sun was here for and what, 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 and, and what he has done. Men did not comprehend. They still don't comprehend it today. There may be someone sitting here this morning who has no comprehension of this. I mean, the world or the darkness has not grasped the force of our Lord's coming and, and the significance of His coming. I mean, there are people, multitudes of them today, who don't grasp the fact that they're lost. They don't grasp the fact that they need a Savior. They don't grasp the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And they, they don't grasp the fact that they, they may have the forgiveness of sins by coming to Him and receiving it as a free gift of His grace. And instead, many of them have the idea that they must work in order to be saved. They're, you know, they're going to be good enough to be saved. Not realizing that God does not accept their efforts or, or their good works, that by their good works, they can never be made right with God. But at the same time, it also means that the darkness has not overcome the light. The light, because the light is unconquerable. It's unconquerable. The Lord Jesus Christ has, has been here. They put him on a cross at Calvary. They, they crucified him. But they didn't realize when they crucified him that they made his victory certain. And that's why he came. He came to die for sinners. And it was sinners who seized him and hung him on a tree and put him to death. But ultimately, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God simply used wicked men to accomplish his eternal purposes. And Jesus Christ is the unconquerable light. And as he says uh, later in this gospel, I have overcome the world. One commentator said, just as a single candle can overcome a room filled with darkness, so also the powers of darkness are overcome by the person and work of the Son through his death upon the cross. And so the darkness is the place in which the light shines, but the darkness cannot conquer the unconquerable light. 
the darkness, you know, all the demonic powers and forces of hell, and along with, with all the accommodating human evil, cannot successfully overcome or shut out the light. The light still shines in the darkness. It is shining in the world. It has been shining for a long time and is going to continue to shine until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only source of true light in this spiritually dark world, and His salvation conquers the spiritual darkness in every heart that puts their faith and trust in Him alone for salvation. The light cannot be overcome by the darkness because the light is alive. It is the light of life. And through this life, the living Word, all things were made, and this living Word is God. We've gone through a lot of deep truths this morning. But to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? I mean, John's point in this stunning opening description of Jesus is to tell us that He is the eternal Word, the Creator of everything, and that He reveals the life and light of God to this dark world. And because He is the eternal God, we should believe in Him and submit everything in our lives to Him as our sovereign Lord. Because He is the Creator, we should worship Him as we see His handiwork and what He has made. If His life is in us, then our salvation is secure because He is our life. And we should be filled with hope Hope, nothing but hope. Because we're going to spend eternity with Him. Because He is our light, we should reflect that light in His absence, letting His light shine through us to those who are still in darkness. You know, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You can learn a lot of things about God and about Christ. You can also know a lot of things about Jesus. You can know a lot of things about Jesus. A lot of you know a lot of things about Jesus. You you can do all sorts of things. You can believe in Him. You can do all sorts of things you believe God wants you to do, but to know Him, it takes Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. One commentator on John chapter 1 said this. He said, this is what John 1 is saying. Jesus is the supreme revelation. If we are to know God, Neither rationalism nor irrational mysticism will suffice. God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning, you don't know God in a very real way. Do you want to know God? 
Do you want to know that God is real? Do you want to know Him personally? Well, it can only happen through the Word. And Jesus is the Word. He is the ultimate, clearest revelation of who God is. And through His Word this morning, He's revealing more of Himself to us, more of who He is. I mean, doesn't this make you want to know Jesus more than you already do? I mean, doesn't this make you want to pursue a deeper and more intimate relationship with Him? I certainly hope so. And we're just getting started. And my prayer is that through this series, God, through His Word, the Holy Spirit, through His Word, is going to reveal more and more of Christ to us. He's going to to reveal to us once again the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ, the love of Christ. You know, may God give each one of us a desire to know His beloved Son much deeper than we already do. You know, we can have as, as intimate, as deep a relationship with Him as we want. And we already do. Are you satisfied to stay where you're at now? You know, I, I, I pray that the cry of Paul, Paul's heart, that I may know Him. And I pray that that's the cry of our hearts as well. You know, may the Holy Spirit seal His Word to our hearts this morning, apply it to our hearts, and do the work that He desires to do. On behalf of Pastor Jim Jarrett and everyone at Calvary Bible Church of Palisadro, we hope and pray this study will help you continue growing in the Word. If you've been blessed by today's message, or if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 530-547-4400. Again, 530-547-4400 or write to us at P.O. Box 837, Palisadro, California, 96073. You can also email us through the church website at calvarybiblepc.org, calvarybiblepc.org. Thank you for listening and may God richly bless you. It's your love.